0: Welcome to the latest episode of Bound the Context. I'm your host, Ryan Straver, and I welcome to the program today, Kathy Serbo, Kathy CIO of IAPP. Welcome, Kathy, to the program.
1: Hey, thanks, Ryan. Really psyched to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So, so Kathy, you know, for our, for our
0: listeners out there, tell us a bit about yourself and tell us a bit about IAPP or, and, and the work that you guys do.
1: So I'm the CIO at the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Um, I've been there about 18 months. I actually have been in tech uh, for about 30, almost 30 years um, in large companies until now. So the IAPP is a small nonprofit um, centered around data privacy, which is kind of a cool topic. Um, My tech career in general has been very uh, varied. You know, I started as an infrastructure person, build, literally building desktops when you used to order them. Remember, you used to order yeah, them? Yeah. And you'd order the memory, and you'd order the hard drive, and you got to put them all together. I love puzzles, so that's probably why I love that job, uh, and then I just sort of moved up the stack. I got involved in OS, I got involved in um, middleware, I got involved in applications, and eventually sort of moved into things like process management and technology communications, which is where you and I met, uh-huh. um, and, and tech tech ed or tech education and things like that. So I'm just a, a, a generalist, if you will, at heart when it comes to technology.
0: Yeah, so and you started, which is interesting, you started really from the bottom of building computers sort of yep. all the way up. So you have that deep knowledge, you know, I, I did, guess you yeah. can sort of pull from
1: do because I watched technology grow and change. I mean, I remember when you were something, if you got that external 20 megabyte hard drive that you got to plug into your device, <laughs> you knew you were important when you got 20 megabyte of space. Think about I mean, that. It's
0: yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> isn't that crazy? I still remember when I was a kid. We didn't have a computer um, when I was growing up, but my dad at some point got the old TRS-80. He had that was left over from his company, and he yeah. bought this thing with seven and a half inch floppies and you know this big whole console. And I was fascinated. With it, and I, I I would play around, but it's so different from our kids these days who are just growing up with this, right? We 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 remember a time when like you didn't have a computer. At least I didn't grow up with computers.
1: I didn't grow up with computers no for sure um, my dad was an engineer and so he used to always tell me he had the one of those calculators on his desk at some uh-huh. point was probably, probably high school or college and he'd be like there's more computing power in this computer than there was in my entire college when I and he went to MIT so he didn't go to Whoa. some non-technical college so uh, yeah but yeah I didn't grow up with computers I kind of fell into it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. So, so at IAPP, tell us some of the problems, you know, this is all about down the context of the whole podcast around problem solving. So tell us, tell us our listeners, some of the problems that you guys are, are wrestling through and, and, and solving them. And then, yeah, just, just go with that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, so we are 20 years old this year, you know, sadly it's been a tough year to have a big birthday like that, <laughs> but um, it's interestingly, uh, so the IAPP is a membership association, so it's a nonprofit, but it's a revenue-generating nonprofit. And what we do, our mission is to support and provide information to the privacy pros, so privacy professionals in general, our uh, policy, uh, our lawyer friends, and things like that. And, and more and more, with new laws coming along, it's also our technology Uh, folks and not just our security folks. Security is just one branch of privacy that we need to think about as technologists. So um, so some of our problems are the typical startup problems when you think about it. You start as a small nonprofit and it's sort of you're by hook or by crook getting things done. I like to say that, um, first of all, I like to say that all the decisions that were made before I arrived were made for the right reasons with the right intent in mind. Um, but some of them were um, you know, bootstrapped or what I like to call MacGyvered, you know, you know paper, co- paper clips and bubble gum, you know, because that was what you could get away with doing at the time. So really, uh, my focus has been on what I call modernization. I know a lot of a lot of companies are in the digital transformation era we're really not digitally transforming in a way. We're really modernizing our tech stack and really looking at the entire stack from networks. So we've upgraded our network all the way up through um, our data and how we're using our data and creating data models and creating KPIs and, and really trying to become a data-driven um, business organization, things like that. But But really, it's about modernizing. It's about really identifying those places that our business is just not being met with technology um where automation will make a big difference so it's really fun
0: yeah and so when you know so over your career we all curate kind of how we go about solving problems and so i'm curious now like when, when you uh, with an iapp or when you get approached by maybe the, the, somebody for the business, like, Hey, here's a problem we sort of have like help us understand or our listeners understand what, what's the Kathy method and approach to going about and sort of breaking down that problem. And then, and then, so walk us through kind of how you do that and how you and your team do that.
1: Yeah, you bet. So, so I, um, I am a lean trained person. So lean uh, L E A N. Yeah. Uh, and I so and I'm also a processor, like my brain just processes things. So I tend to be a questioner, which really fits well with lean, but it also fits well with me really wanting to peel back and understand. I also go into a lot of these with the I'll say net neutral, like I I try to go in without an opinion. I try to go in without, hey, I think what you're doing is wrong or right. Like I said, whatever decisions were made at the time. I assume you used good intelligence and made the right decision. Um, But I tend to break down problems into the, the sort of traditional people process data technology. And and really it was people process tech and data has really entered that realm in the last, you know, five, 10 years, I'd say. And so for me, problem solving is, it's, it's a number of things. It's um, when you go in neutral and, and of course, people are at the heart of this, right? Um, you find some biases where people, um, this is what I need. This is my problem. I don't have this installed. And so a lot of it is just asking lots of questions to get to, in that lean sense, root cause. Like, yes. What problem are you really trying to solve? Is it really about having technology? Or at the end of the day, do you have processes that need to be fixed? Um, is there a people capability issue? Do you um, do you need training or learning? Do you need um, uh, more data that's not there? Are you are you struggling? So I tend to look at it in again lean the value stream map. So what's the flow of the work you're trying to you know where does the work you're trying to solve for or what is the flow? at, and then trying to really back into the, where, where are the pain points, you know, which in lean come, comes into those eight forms of waste and, but, but anyway, so I start to, you know, holistically, I start to really assume that people don't really know what problem they're trying to solve they're solutioning. Yeah. Yes. And so trying to ask a ton of questions back into the, what problem are you really trying to solve? And then think about it in that people process data tech. Like, where, where do you go next?
0: That's great. The, the five whys is, is I'm sure you, you pull this around, right? It's a great technique from sort of the lean. Um, it's, of the lean three, it's
1: the three-year-old, right? But yeah. why? But why? Yeah. But why? Right? Yeah. It's very, very effective, though, because it stumps people. You get to the third why, and people are like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. it really, it's effective, but it really makes people think through what they're what they're trying to solve for.
0: I got you. It was was funny. One of our recent interviews, the CTO um, uh, last week, um, Casey Lee was, he's a lean background. He walked into, he's the CCTO now. He looked at the whole development team and said, we're going to do some value stream analysis. We're going to figure out where your activity times and wait times. And so he kind of brought in that as a way to think about like how they ship and build software. And he Mm -hmm. he brought that aspect of as well within your organization. So you guys have, you know, you have websites, you have conferences, you have publications, you have lots of these things. Where do you apply this sort of lean sort of thinking to? Is it tend to be within just sort of the IT processes or are you really with the business working to help understand like their, their world as well?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So we started with a technology transformation. So I joined in February of 2019. So by June, we had defined a a technology transformation around lean practices and principles. And it actually evolved, um, which is awesome, uh, to people process data tech across the organization. So our people was really championed by our HR head. Our process was championed by our ops leader. Um, Data, we actually built out under me, we built out a data team coming up with vision, strategy, mission, all those kind of things. So it evolved into it started with, hey, you know, let's dig into tech, but it has evolved and morphed into a broader transformation initiative across the org. And, and one of the things I would say in my role at the IAPP, which has been really fun, I mentioned I've really been a generalist. I love to learn. I'm very curious. So I have I took on a lot of different roles. I tended to end up in places in my former life of, hey, we've got a big gnarly problem here. Can you go in and figure it out? Um, which tended to be is it people process data tech? Is there an organizational opportunity? So coming into a small company like the IAPP at a time where um, there's a lot of transformation going on in the industry, so data privacy is just it's exploding right now in, in the world. Um, it allowed me to sit at the at the C table with as a business person. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so in in sort of back to your question, yes, it started as technology. But it has really uh, bled into the broader organization. Really, I, my, my partner in crime, I'll say, is Amy Sherwood, who you know, who is our chief operating officer. And she, I have the data in tech and she has the operations in HR. And we really partner um, to try and figure out a better way overall for the IAPP to run um, its business is
0: I've gotten, I got to know, I've knew you in the past, and knew you're an IPP, and I discovered, um, and you turned me on to this kind of privacy by design. And so I've been doing software for a long time, and, and I think you helped educate me out. And it's not just for security people, right? right? This is something that's going to fundamentally change the way we think about designing systems. And so... Maybe for our listeners who aren't as familiar with some of the concepts around it, maybe you can give them a bit of a primer. When when we think about privacy by design and designing privacy into systems, can you explain that a bit, the the concepts and and maybe some examples of how that might apply um, for the folks out there who are designing and building systems?
1: So this is actually one of the things I'm most excited about being at the IAPP is, you know, 30 years into my career here, um, I have... Uh, Yeah, I've learned a ton. And it's fun to be able to apply a lot of those things to, um, you know, to the IAPP from a technology and data perspective. But I also like to learn. And as you you know, and so um, one of the things I've learned a lot about since I've been here is privacy, just privacy in general. I'll say there's some key principles of privacy. That um, that are are, are emerging, uh, particularly because of di- digital transformation. Because right, we're all transforming to better understand our data, to understand um, our operations, use data to make better product decisions, to think about how can we how can we offer what we offer in a new, um, you know, especially this year in a new virtual way, for example. And sort of at the at the core of that digital transformation is data. So, and, and customer data and employee data, and then you layer on top of that, just the number of devices that we have today, the Alexas and the Fitbits. I have a Fitbit under my sleeve here, and just how much data we're collecting to the tune of, um, it's like 40 billion trillion bytes of data. I, I mean, I'm, I'm misquoting, but I'm not misquoting. And it, it's just a tremendous amount of data in the world today and on and and when you um layer on top of that that we are we're like voluntarily giving up like we're using our data to pay for convenience so um we we social media great example so we're i'm on facebook i'm on twitter i know you're on linkedin i don't know if you're on the others or not but we are putting in data every day and that data could be videos it could be videos of our kids it could be Um, It could be our ideas. It could be, um, you know, it could be so many data, you know, has morphed into so many things today. Um, So we're voluntarily giving a lot of this data away, but some of it's private data. And some of it is if I take um, this data set that have only given you my name, maybe. But over here, I I have this other data set where I've given my date of birth for something and then you have the technology to marry them. Suddenly, you know my name and you know my date of birth and maybe you know my address from over here. We have a privacy issue. We have a we have a and and it, it has been exacerbated by the technology disruption that has gone on in the world. So sort of enter data privacy and enter data privacy laws, which, by the way, have been around for a long long time. I I kind of I I like to say I'm really late to the game. Um you know, I was very fortunate in around 2000, 2002 to get involved in the security program at my previous company and really help build that out. I completely missed privacy and I think you I've shared this with you um before. I, I don't know how I missed it. So um, privacy. In around 1995, um, there was a woman by the there is a woman by the name of Anne Kabukian who was the um, data privacy officer, like chief data person. I'll say in Canada, I can't remember, like privacy commissioner or something. And she came up with these principles that you were talking about, privacy by design, um, and and those involve um, really helping technologists to. Uh, uh, to design their systems with privacy first. So um, we talk about security and security by design and security first. Um, This, this is really overlaps and actually security is a core foundation of privacy by design. Um, But actually before I go there, I want to talk like very quickly about privacy. So key principles of privacy actually are things like minimization. So when we build systems, we should only collect what we need or processes. And and when we don't need it anymore, we should we need to get rid of it by law. Uh, we need to tell people, notice and consent, we need to tell people what we're doing with their data and get uh, their consent if we decide, you know, if you know, for, for what we choose to do. Um, we need to um, have purpose limitations, so we only collect those things that are legitimate to collect, and we don't use it for other things. So if I say I'm going to collect your data to, do, um, to process your, your, um, your membership, I don't get to then take it and mark it to you because I haven't asked your permission to do that, right? Um, And user control is another key principle around um, making sure people have control. They can reach out and say, hey, get rid of my data. And this is all by law. This is all, you know, codified in law. Um, And one of those principles is security. So the things about, you know, only give access to the people who should have access, who can change it, uh, making sure that you are resilient. So you have, you know, if the system goes down, you don't lose your data, either lose it like it wipes out or it gets exposed, things like that. Those are principles. Those are just principles of privacy. So what Ann Kavukian did was she wrote this into um, principles of privacy by design. Um, And that really is focused on the technologists. So it's about um, creating systems that are um, proactive, that that proactively go to prevent any sort of privacy breach. Privacy is considered a default, like security is a default. Um, it's embedded into your design from the get-go. It's not bolted on afterwards. It's not something else. So here's my system, and over here you go to check if it's private or not. It's actually inherent in it. Um, and it's, uh, it's zero sums. It's not either or. It's not security or privacy. It's not business function or privacy. It's it's right in there. Um, It's making sure what you're doing, particularly processes, are visible and transparent, uh, and it's respecting uh, the user. At the end, it's that user centricity that we talk about in in Agile anyway, but user user centricity, making sure that you have almost like the empathy for the user to say, your privacy is important to us, and we're going to build this system to really protect that. So it's where those seven principles of privacy by design are intended to take technologists like you and me and say, am I building my systems that way? And when you layer on the last five years of data explosion right, and technology disruption, it has become readily apparent that we are not doing nearly enough. As a technology community, that's my call to action. Right? Uh, we're not doing nearly enough as a technology community to protect our users, you know, privacy rights.
0: It's fascinating because, you know, to your point, I, I've been ignorant on privacy. And there's security. We have professionals. We think about security and these, but privacy, you know, throughout my career hasn't been like when I think about designing a system, attribute by attribute. Do we need this data or not? You know, many times the default has been, "We'll get it in there. We might as well grab it, exactly. right? mean maybe we'll use it later. But if we don't grab it, who knows?" And so, I think what I what I what's resonated with me um, with this privacy by design is, to your point, being very intentional about it upfront, designing it in. We're not we're not you know, we want to design uh, privacy in, but I see that there's an enormous gap. And knowledge at the engineering level, at the architecture level, that around just taking these one, understanding the privacy concepts, and secondly, how does that translate into helping me design systems, either differently than I would have, or in the same way, but to be more cognizant of of who touches the data, who can see the data, when's it available, to your point. Um, If a client, if a customer says, I'd like you to remove my data getting rid of it i don't i'll you to name a system that most companies have that you can say hey can please get rid of all my data and there's yeah. some but they click and it goes away right those yeah. are hard things yeah. to do and they don't exist really
1: i i would say they do exist actually they do exist they just really? don't exist in most um in most companies most companies haven't okay. yet invested so i think of privacy like security Um, And I don't know if you and I have had this conversation before, but like in 2000, there weren't security solutions. There wasn't even a security job family. There just was, hey, you know, a bunch of breaches. And um, by 20, I'd say by 20, 2008, maybe, you know, that time frame, there was like a job family. And then all of a sudden there was an explosion of the CISO. Right. And what is what was a CISO in 2000? There weren't anything. They were that they were that c-suite person that said oh by the way we've had a breach right so there's been so much and privacy is the same it's just on a sort of a later trajectory and i agree with you i think a lot of um a lot of people don't understand privacy just like in 2000 2002 a lot of people didn't understand security um and they're and they're um they're intertwined but they're not the same right and so so let me let me just uh Talk about that for a second. So security yeah. security is really, um, it's about the boundaries, right? It's about protecting. It's the confidentiality, integrity, availability, resilience. It's about, it's, it doesn't care what the data is mm-hmm. other than, oh, it's been labeled as PPI or it's been labeled as confidential. We need to protect it. It's the fortress, right? It's yeah. protecting. Privacy cares about what it is. Privacy says, yeah, that fortress, we're counting on that fortress to be there. That absolutely non, you know, non-negotiable that it's secure and and only people can get to it that should. But beyond that, we care about what it is. And so back to the whole, do you have the consent of the user to use it? Are you using it for it? You said you were going to use it for all those things. So... um, I'm pretty sure I didn't answer your question <laughs> now, now,
0: and, and I think well, you explained to me Kathy and, and help me if I get my words wrong, right. Is, yeah. No, you, you can't be you can't be private. you can have privacy unless you have security but just because you have security doesn't mean That's you have privacy good. did I get that c- kind of That's guy close yeah and that was a helpful thing for me to understand that security is really a bedrock you have to have that but just because you are secure doesn't really mean anything that you thought about privacy. exactly
1: exactly Exactly. Um, and, And actually, I just remembered your question. It was around there isn't a solution there, but there is there's like this whole explosion of technology suppliers now. Okay. Uh, out there that are, I, I I'm I'm gonna um, do my best on the statistic. It's something like in 2017 there were 34 companies that were offering some sort of privacy solution for technology, whether it be like cookie management or you know privacy program management or or the whole hey you know I've got a request let me let me go and traverse my all my um, all my systems and find Ryan Shriver and remove his information. Um, now there's over 300 think wow. about that yeah we do at the IAPP one of the things we offer a ton of information we do a, a vendor report every year that goes out and and assesses across a, 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 a multitude of it's like I don't want to say 10 or 15 different permutations of privacy what what the technology does for you to help your privacy um posture but um there's over 300 now I, I don't remember exactly what the number was, but there's over 300. That's huge. Yeah. That's, that's, huge. A, that's, that's enormous. And, and, and given that
0: IPP is an international organization, mm-hmm. help us understand how maybe Americans think differently about privacy than, say, you know, uh, Europeans or others. Because you, you see all the, these different folks from around the world coming together around privacy. Have you seen anything that is either a country or a Continent specific in, in ways people view privacy the laws I know are different. Um, but
1: yeah, that's a really good question. So I, I think I would the way I would say answer that question is I think in the U.S. we're behind on treating it as a um, you know a federal law. I mean, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of privacy laws in the U.S. Um, most of them, if not all of them, are at the state level. Some, some of them are like HIPAA, like we're all familiar with HIPAA for health, and COPPA, which is child, you know, protecting children's um, privacy. But we don't have a federal law, um, GDPR, which came out of the EU. Um, it was probably the first time, and I'm not a privacy expert, but I would say it is it, in my um, in my being in a Fortune 100 company. It's the first time I ever heard of privacy, and it was because we, as a global company, were suddenly affected by a law. You know, again, technology, data—it's everywhere. It's not like it understands geographical borders. Um, so here in the U.S., we don't have a federal law, but GDPR is um, an EU law it's an EU wide law and any company that does business with the um, with the EU is is bound to it um, Brazil has a law China's close to a federal law um, India is close to a federal law I mean there's 60 or 70 jurisdictions around the world that are already under some form of privacy law. Um, the good news in the U.S. is, well, a couple things. One um, is over 80 percent um, of, of, of U.S. of Americans are, are good with the law. Like they're like, yes, we need, we need to have our privacy protected. And um, there's there's really good reasons for that. One is um, CCPA, which is the California Consumer Privacy Act. Um, was passed and enacted. It was passed, I think, a couple of years ago, and started in uh, to become in effect in July of this year. Um, and and oh, by the way, before I forget, like the difference between security and privacy when it comes to not following. Uh, you, you know, you know, security is like say what you're going to do, do it, prove it, right? And of course, it was. Oh my gosh, you don't want to be on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. You don't want to hurt your brand. It was a, um, I don't even want to say a passive impact to your business, but there wasn't, there isn't the teeth that privacy, yeah. privacy comes with massive fines. It comes with um, regulatory, uh, you know, um, issues, uh, you know, filings that you have to do and things like that. So the consequences of, of breaching a privacy law are much larger, but sort of back to the U S you, um, It it is probably you know know, sad to say for the U.S. right now, but we are a a, we are not a partisan or you know country right now. We have a lot of divisiveness. There is so much agreement. It's like there's so much agreement across Republican and Democrat lines that we're ready for our federal privacy law. It just is at the point where it will. When is it going to be a priority for our House and our Congress? It, It is probably one of the few bipartisan things we've got going in Washington right now, um, again, sadly enough, but, um, but it is, it is on the horizon. Um, my boss, um, Trevor, who's the CEO, he's the founder of the IAPP. He has what he calls the huge factor or something. And every year he does a percentage and he's basically saying it's about a hundred percent that we're probably going to get that we're his his hedge is like a hundred percent that we're going to get a federal privacy law in the U S in the next two years, two years.
0: Wow. 100% Hundred percent too. He's pretty confident.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, he's very, yeah, he's very confident. Yeah, he's very confident. And he and he reserves the right to back off that. You yeah. know, but But uh, that's a lot. It sort of ties back to my job and what we're doing and the modernization is. We're getting ready for what we consider the ten x moment. That moment where we're going to just grow exponentially. Um, our membership is around um, sixty five thousand. Last year at this time, it was um, just over fifty thousand. Oh, wow. So we're already growing because of what's happening around the globe. Um, U.S. U.S. customers are um, U.S. customers. U.S. members. U.S. companies are just uh, they're This is going to be big. Um, sort of back to your point that a lot of companies don't. A lot of companies that are U.S. only, for example, aren't even really too much worried. Too worried about this space yet. Global companies are aware, but. It's not the same, but it's coming.
0: It's yeah, coming. absolutely. So, 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 so Kathy, you, you started in the hardware, you got it, you went all the way through IT, you have a lean influence. Who have been some of your influences in terms of shaping the way you think about sort of framing problems, either people or books or like, who have been some of the, the people that have been or, or, or content that's been instrumental in kind of helping shape the way that you go about kind of problem mm-hmm. solving?
1: Yeah, really good question. I, I did watch some of your videos, so I knew this was coming. So I'm gonna do my best because I had I'm to. A I'm a creature
0: of habit. Sorry, I can't, can't go ahead. No, no,
1: it's yeah. good. No, it's good. It helps you prepare. Um, I I I've got to say, I really um. struggle to come up with some influencers outside of maybe the the ones that are obvious. My dad. My dad was huge in being an influencer in my life, partially as an engineer. He's very logical, very pragmatic, very, you know, sort of structured thinker, which is what I am. Uh, My mom, just tremendous collaboration and empathetic and, you know, kind. So I think that sort of lean, you know, that lean is solve problems closest to the work. You give people voices, all that kind of stuff. I think about my mom when I think of some of that. So my parents, have been hugely influential in, 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 in thinking, you know, I struggle a bit when I think about how, how in the tech industry, I think a lot of my influences have been negative. A lot really? of them have been, um, you know, and maybe that's that resilience I have. My dad used to always say, so my dad was in the air force okay. and then he came, he went on to be a pilot uh, for almost oh, 30 okay. years. That was what he did. And so I got to see the world from my little, you know, place here in New Hampshire, I, I actually had a pretty worldly view by the time I went to college. And then college, of course, just expanded it. But my dad used to talk about um, how he would come, he would come home from trips, and he'd say, Oh, I flew with such and such again, he's such a, you know, a will say jerk. Um, he was just, you know, he said something about his sons. And I said to him, Well, my daughters can do anything that your sons can do. And when you're in the 80s and when you're, you know, I mean, I was on the first soccer team for my junior high. Yeah. We didn't have soccer before I got there. The The field hockey coach fought us. So there was a negative influence. A woman wow. who said, yeah. no, I don't want them to play soccer. And then there was, you know, we went on to, to start the team in high school, first soccer team in high school. And then I was a math person. You know, math, I think I think I was the only woman in most of my, my I have a math degree, and most of my classes in Virginia were that. And then I started in the actuarial field, which was very male dominated in Richmond. There was no room, girls. My boss literally said to me, "You're just going to grow up and get married and have babies, so I don't think we need to support you." So a lot of my influences with my dad being like, "You can do anything you want." When I had people say to me, "You can't do that," I was like, "Oh yeah, just watch me. It's like the challenge accepted right yeah so you know sadly there weren't there weren't a whole lot of role models you know there really weren't a whole lot of role models for me in tech for sure, certainly not in in math and and it was always you know trying to get past so so I think a lot of my influences came from from you know people telling me I couldn't and and building that thick skin and and really trying to push through and persevere yeah, for sure. I mean, I had some great mentors who were, Oh, what do you call them? Advocates. Is that yeah. right? They, they advocated for me in times where, uh, you know, they were met white men in the room that said, Kathy can do this. Right. And you needed that. I mean, you absolutely needed that. And I learned a lot from them as well, but, but for the most part, I think, um, you know, a lot of my problem solving has been tenacity and it's been, um, you know, that structured thinking from my dad and my mom and you know, the empathy for my mom. And, but you know me, like, I'm also like, I'm very, uh, diversity focused too. Yeah. And I think probably also comes from being a tech in sport, a woman in sports, a woman in math, a woman in tech is always looking for that. Are we asking enough people? Do we have the right lenses yeah. on this? And I, I, I'm very collaborative. And I think that that's a huge key as well to problem solving. Um, I believe very strongly in, in diversity. So if you, if you are asking from all different lenses, you're going to end up with a way better solution um, yeah. than you would if you, were, if you were just, you know, if I just was presumptuous and thought I knew it all, it would be. It it would not go well for whatever solution I put forward, I'm certain. No, it's, and
0: and we we were working together. You do a great job at just blending that in and being authentic about it and not, okay, let's go think about it from this angle perspective. Uh, you, You always just naturally, by watching with you, bring that dimension in and, and Question for you is: We we were struck, we struggle with this at Single Stone. Is we're, we're like many organizations, male engineering, male oriented, male dominated. Do you feel there's more awareness now? But do you feel that we're making progress now in, in 2020, um, or do you think it's a bit more of um, the show? Do you, do you feel like we're making real real progress in terms of more women in tech and having more women in whether it's engineering or STEM or those sort of things?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's a tough question. Um, what does RBG say? RBG says, I'll be happy when there's nine women on the Supreme court. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm not satisfied that we've made great progress yet. I, you know, interestingly enough, I think a lot of what's happened with the black lives matter and, and just the pure awareness so much translates so much I mean it's their moment the me too moment a few years ago was women you know and really women standing up for themselves and saying I don't have to do that to get this you know type stuff um I, I think that there is a I think there's a huge reckoning still left to be done for diversity um I think tech is uh it still sits a little bit back on its on its um on its laurels if you will uh You know, it's unfortunate that um, there's still so much success. This is going to sound sort of backwards, but there's still so much success when you're not diverse when it comes to technology, because we love our tech. Right. We love our tech. And frankly, we don't really care if our Fitbit was built by, you know, 25 men or 25 women. It doesn't matter because we don't see yet what we're missing. And I think that that's the, that's the key thing to technology and diversity that we, we don't know what we're missing. So I, I'm going to give you an analogy of how I think about this. Um, it just popped into my head. So bear with me. So my son and I, I love this story. My son and I were in Italy, you know, remember last year before, yeah. between when I left one job before I started the other, I went over to Europe for, for three or four weeks uh, just with just my youngest son And he was 20, I think at the time. And so we went to all these big cities and we were in Florence and we were walking and he looked at me. He's like, mom, you know, speed up. Now Florence is super busy. There was a ton of people on the sidewalk and I said, you know, teaching moment, my, my good son. And I said, walk behind me. And this is what I think a lot of people don't get yet is there are so many accommodations that we as women and minorities make. Just to walk through the world. So when when I walked behind Ryan, people got out of his way. When he walked behind me, this was me. If I stood my ground, I'd get, you know, people, there's this subliminal, um, thing that happened, like we all grow up knowing as women, we've got to sort of make our way. We've got to accommodate um, as men. We just own our space and it's not judgmental at all. It's how we're grown up. I'm raising three sons. I mean, my you know three young men now. So I've had the privilege of tr- making them feminists, you know, mm-hmm. but, but that's probably when I think about it, until we sort of crack that nut of empathy Ooh. to walk in someone else's shoes I I don't think we're, I don't think we're going to get there. And that's why I love, like, I love everything um, that the black lives matter has done broadly for the causes of, of minorities, whether it's gender or, and I know a lot of that is, um, Uh, certainly more uh, wrapped up in things that, uh, you know, that I can't even begin to understand raising three sons versus raising three black sons would be a very different, um, you know, very different experience. I get that. So I know there's so much robustness to black lives matter that isn't about this, but I think there's a lot. And I think, I think there's so much opportunity for people to stop fighting this, and start thinking more empathetically from, you know, walk in someone else's shoes. And that experience in Florence always sort of seems to resonate with, with, uh, you know, with what I mean. Because um, I think I think one of my favorite sayings is a, boat, a tide rises all boats. Life is not a zero-sum game. It's just not. You know, if we can all, if any, you know, if we can collectively move ahead, uh, we'll all be better off. And I just don't think people think that way. I think um, I think people still think it's mine. I got to hold on tight, um,
0: yeah.
1: unfortunately.
0: So uh, let me hit you with the last question. What are you okay. listen to these days?
1: so yeah I listen to a lot of things I love every kind of music there is I'm an, I'm an Imagine Dragons fan by the way oh, nice. I love anything by Imagine Dragons um, and and my whole life I'm soft rock so Elton John James Taylor all those things okay. anything can be playing but I love Stryzan. I love I love Christina Aguilera she's okay. so talented it's so not you know people like you I'm like yep I love Christina <laughs> Aguilera um, I'm also really, um, I'm, I'm fascinated. I have learned, I have been until probably the last five years, sort of policy neutral, political neutral. You know, I kind of was like, yeah, I vote every year and I do, I have just been fascinated and you know me well enough to know a lot of it. It's about the people, the people, yeah. I'm, I'm a huge human studier of people. And so a lot of what I listen to the podcasts, I listen to the Lincoln Project, I listen to NPR daily, every day. Oh, and you know what I love? There's this podcast called Smart Less, which okay. is not political okay. at all. Love it. It's um, who is it? Jason Bateman, Sean, uh, can't remember his last name, and uh, Will Arnett. Okay. Smart Less, okay. and what they do is they interview people. So they've had on. Um, Reese Witherspoon and oh, they had Kamala Harris on the day before she was announced as VP. That podcast. It's funny. It's irreverent. It's you know, and it's current. Um, but yeah, and it's mindless. Like I walk every day, and you know, for an hour or so, and I just put on my podcast and off I go. So, so there you go. That's awesome. As 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 as, as much as my technology career is very all over the place, and I've done a ton of things, my listening is the same.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. I struggle with we 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 have a within Singleton we we Slack we have a channel called Tunes, and we just share what people are listening to, and it's a great way to just get to know um, people and what they're listening to, and so. Um, I enjoy, I have my own habits, but I enjoy diving, diving in. And uh,
1: yeah, it. yeah, I just love music. I love music. So yeah. I, 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 with maybe the exception of opera. I would say not, that. I would no?
0: say that. No, yeah. opera. All right, Kathy, thank you so much for your time. It was good <laughs> to hang out with you again and, yeah. and have a great winter up in there. Stay warm as you can. And we'll hopefully see you down in Virginia or we'll be back up in New Hampshire at
1: some point. Can't wait. All right.